0: listening to The Corbett Report, corbettreport.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Corbett Report podcast. I'm your host, James Corbett of corbettreport.com, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan here in January of 2020. And this year, we're going to kick off with episode 371 of The Corbett Report podcast, Going viral. Now, the foundation for today's podcast episode is a political metaphor that has been so oft employed, in fact, is so ubiquitous, that you would be forgiven for not even thinking of it as a metaphor or analogy. But it is a metaphor, and it likens the state to a physical, corporeal body. And you can have all sorts of fun, and people have over the centuries analogizing various. Parts or people within the state uh, to various body parts. And the most obvious example of that is, of course, the head of state. When we talk about the head of state, we are, again, in this analogy, we are talking about the leader of the body politic being likened to the head of the body. And by a further process of synecdoche, you can refer to the crown to refer to the head of state, which is referring to the leader who is in charge of the nation, and etc. etc. We are the, the heart of this body politic, and we're pumping the blood through the organs, or whatever. Uh, again, have all sorts of fun extending that metaphor in all sorts of different ways, and some of them may even be insightful, but we do run the risk when employing these types of metaphors, politically or otherwise, we do run the risk of not realizing that we are employing a metaphor, and metaphors come with them certain baggage and associations and certain connections that if you extend the metaphor far enough, well, do I really mean to be saying that? Perhaps I'm saying this the wrong way. Now, this is a concept that I would invite you to refresh yourself uh, with through episode 357 of this podcast, where we looked at language is a weapon. And perhaps the idea of the body politic has been weaponized against us so that, there can be certain dog whistles that are played that we don't even really recognize what is happening until it is too late. But it can be, well, it can be quite dangerous at times. Because if we think of the body politic as a literal body, then of course, what's the next step? Oh, something's wrong with our body politic. We have a disease and What's causing our disease? Well, let me tell you, the very thing I don't like is causing the disease in our body politic. And what do you do? Well, you're gonna have to cut that cancer out, right? There's one particular cancer that has attacked our body politic. And that cancer is
1: money in politics. In our country, what we have is political cancer. And what do I mean by political cancer? By that I mean the unregulated money that's in our politics.
0: And so, you've got to understand that socialism is, it's political aids, okay, it is political aids. And if you flirt around with these crazy socialists that cannot be reasoned with once they've gotten to a certain level, then you are flirting with someone who has political aids.
1: A medical doctor uh, addressing a patient, patient being the nation as a whole, suffering from what he calls uh, Korean disease, uh, from which he is completely free, and he is above Korean disease, of
0: course. Etc., etc. Yes, whenever you hear someone ranting about their political opponents, you can brace yourself for the inevitable incoming analogy of AIDS or cancer or some sort of virus that must be cut out of the body politic in order to save us. And unfortunately, as I'm sure we all did learn from Stuart Chase and the tyranny of words back in episode 357 of this podcast, those types of analogies are not just unhelpful, they are potentially quite destructive, that people can be misled into all sorts of misadventures that they otherwise would not because of the temptation to believe the metaphor to be a real thing, so that, oh, there is this political cancer in our system that must be cut out, and it is all too easy for that type of sloppy-headed thinking to catch on with the general public, and for people to clamor, for, ultimately, the deaths of millions of their political opponents, because, well, they're not people, they're not humans, they're a disease, and they must be dealt with so that we can return our body politic to good health. Again, of course, this is not always the way in which this analogy is employed, but it is one that has historically been used time and time again to whip the public into a frenzy of hatred and destruction, and that has led to the spilling of millions of people's blood in the past. So it is something that we should at least be on guard against. But let's keep in mind, what audience am I talking to? I'm talking to the Corbett Report audience. So I would suggest that there is a slightly different, although perhaps analogous analogy, (laughs) that can be employed and often is so in the conspiracy realist space, whereby the state is not some healthy, functioning body that we are all just fingers or blood vessels or whatever it is in our analogy that we're all contributing towards in some happy harmony. But no, no, this, is, this isn't some happy, healthy body that has a head that we all must bow down and worship. No, this is, if anything, this is some sort of Frankenstein that's been cobbled together, uh, usually uh, against the will of the people who are serving as the parts of this body. In fact, it's not a, a healthy, happy, functioning body at all. It's a beast. It is a beast that we must fight against. And that is somehow the the, the way the, the New World Order, or whatever you want to portray it as, is often portrayed in conspiracy circles, realist or otherwise. Uh, that this is the beast system that must be fought against and And that brings with it a slew of other metaphors and analogies that we can use to try to better understand our situation, and it is something that I've talked about numerous times on the podcast before, that this is where, unfortunately, our Hollywood predictive programming comes in to not only do us a disservice, but to actually lead us down false blind alleys. Namely, the idea that, oh, okay, this is the beast that we're fighting against and we're the the valiant knight that's going to slay this beast. Well, how do you do it? Well, you have to chop off the head of the beast. So let's find the head of this beast and chop off its head and then everything will be better again. And it is a false analogy that I have railed against in the past because it gives us a false idea of what it is we are doing and how best to accomplish what it is that we actually want to accomplish, which is not simply to slay this beast system, but to create a new system that will thrive and will help us to thrive. That is what we should really be thinking about. And when we think of it in those terms, then the point of this is not to cut off their find and cut off the head of the beast as if that will solve anything. It's a many-headed hydra and it can regrow heads at will. So how do you actually combat a system like that? Well, it isn't in that false analogy. It isn't cutting off the head of the beast. But it is something that I've talked about before, and I've attempted to give a slightly different analogy for how this type of system can be overcome.
1: Well, paradoxically, you're talking about this sort of technological nightmare, which seems to be dawning, brings me to a question, which is to uh, ask us to close on a positive note. (laughs) Because what I want to do is to ask you how we can resist this new world order. And if you will allow me just for a moment to employ a bit of biblical imagery, in your podcasts you say that we shouldn't fight the beast, that is physically fight, because if we do that we're just giving the beast greater justification to strike back at us. Uh, Neither should we just protest to the beast to bring about change, because that just serves further to legitimize the beast. But rather we should stop feeding the beast, and that's something that we have in our power to do. So can you explain what that power is?
0: Well, I'm intrigued by the the idea that we've been given false templates to follow in terms of solving our problems or of fighting enemies. And I think part of this false template that we've been provided through so much social conditioning and, and the media that we consume, et cetera, is this idea that we must find the heart of the organization. We must find the head of this organization and we must somehow kill that person or that group or whatever it is, eliminate that and everything will magically turn to the better. And I think that that is a false template that we've been given. And and one only has to think in broad terms that, Pretty much every science fiction dystopia you've ever seen and in the end if it turns out positively it's only because they have managed to decapitate the head of the beast in in whatever way it is um, <laughs> whether it be the lord of the rings or tron or anything any of these types of movies or, or things that you can think of the idea is you kill the the head bad guy and everything turns magically into a peaceful utopia and i think that that is fundamentally completely the wrong way to look at it because I don't think that at the end of the day that the particular individuals who may or may not be the ones holding the ultimate ring of power at this particular moment are irreplaceable. On the contrary, there are many, many people who would be so chomping at the bit to get into that position of power should that old guard be swept away for whatever reason. And I think it has to be something that is a more fundamental revolution, not of overthrowing a specific instantiation of this idea, but overthrowing the idea altogether. And that can only come, I think, from the building up of an alternative system to which people want to actually apply themselves rather than attempting to simply have some wage, some sort of heroic war that will solve everything once and for all. I think we have to actually just detach ourselves from this system that we've been woven into. And unfortunately, that's probably as difficult to do as that analogy would make it sound because we are so woven into a fabric of society that it is difficult to imagine really extrapolating ourselves from all of these processes that rely For so many of our daily needs on these vast, overwhelming corporate infrastructures that tie into these various organizations that themselves pull the strings of various governmental institutions, it's such a vast and unwieldy system that it can seem quite overwhelming at times. How can a single individual affect this? But I think that we have to look for any and every possible point at which we can at least start to detach ourselves from those systems of controls to start to try to reassert some sort of independence. And that can be an extremely small thing. Like, for example, instead of, I don't know, going out and buying your your groceries at the grocery store, perhaps you can go and buy them at a farmer's market or at least some of your groceries you can get at a farmer's market or you can grow it yourself in a, in a vegetable garden or something of that sort is a tiny thing on the individual level. But I think it is the only thing that in the long run can lead to the type of society that we want to bring to fruition. I think again, it's the small things like that to which if we start to apply ourselves with diligence and with perseverance that in the long run, we'll be able to overthrow this. But unfortunately, as I say, we are on this cusp of this scientific revolution, which makes a scientific dictatorship possible. So unfortunately, we don't have necessarily generations of time in which to do this. So that puts a bit of a time perspective on this, a a ticking, I don't want to say time bomb, but you get the idea, a certain time limit to the accomplishment of this, which means that we don't have a lot of time to waste in deciding which of these structures we want to give. Ourselves over to, either we continue going into this technological structure that is part of this corporate matrix, which involves even such things as buying the next generation of iPhone, which they're already saying is going to have its uh, own fingerprint scanning technology, and and all of this corporate technological, industrial, defense, military, Big Brother, spy grid matrix to which we're signing on every single day of our lives, willingly and and knowingly, and actually paying our money to buy into. Or we start creating alternative structures which don't rely on that system. And it's a choice that we have to make in our lives, I would say, more quickly than has been apparent at any other time in human history. Now, that was a short clip from a conversation that I had with Julian Charles of The Mind Renewed a number of years ago. And that always springs to mind when I'm thinking about this problem of the incorrect analogy that we are fighting this beast and we must find the head and chop off the head and everything will be solved. No, it's more important than that. And the analogy that I go on to make in that interview, please do listen to the full interview, I'll include the link in the show notes, but the analogy that I go on to make is that, if anything, we are the heart of this New World Order system. We are pumping the blood around by our very acquiescence to the system, by going along, by purchasing... The things from these corporations that are part of this system and by participating in it and giving our lifeblood over to it, we are actually empowering this system. So the point is to withdraw our consent from the system and to build up an alternative. But it has only recently struck me that there is a further level to this analogy that we can take things to really understand what it is that I'm trying to articulate here, because I think it is important. Strategy is important. And what the way that we try to destroy the other system, destroy the system, destroy the thing we're against, or build up something new, that can very much hinge on whether or not we have a correct template for understanding what it is that we're doing. So in order to introduce that, I have to introduce yet another pathologization of the body politic that has wormed its way into our discourse in the internet age specifically, and that is the idea of virality, going viral. We say that information that catches on with the public is going viral as if it is spreading like a virus through the body politic. And this has been around uh, now for, well, I'm sure that this idea of ideas themselves being viral in some sense, in some sense has probably been around for a very long time, but in its modern incarnation, this idea has been around since the final chapter of the first edition of Richard Dawkins' 1976 book on the selfish gene, where he introduced the idea of memes and memetics and the idea of information going viral and catching on. In
1: the selfish gene, uh, the sort of message, the main message was that Darwinian natural selection, which as you know is what gives rise to all of us, all living things, um, works on genes. It's the differential survival of genes and genes are just an example of coded, digital actually, information. And I wanted to make the point that although the entire book had been based on genes, has the basis for natural selection. Genes are not the only thing that could have been made the basis of natural selection. On another planet, it could be something quite different. The only thing it has to be is highly accurate information. That probably means digital information because um, only digital information is that high fi um, But then I wanted to say, well, maybe we don't have to even go to other planets to find an alternative to DNA. Maybe there's something already here on this planet which is showing the signs of being a kind of forerunner of a new sort of evolution. Memes, cultural replicators, the cultural equivalent of a gene, the cultural equivalent of DNA, which is anything that's copied, anything that's imitated, anything that spreads around like a virus. And I actually use the analogy of, of a virus. as so something like a tune that's catchy. Catchy, like a virus, catching. Um, it spreads around the culture. I whistle it. You hear it. Hear it. Whistle it. You got in the street. Whistle it. Somebody else hears it. Whistles it. Um, It spreads like a like a virus, and that's all you need in order to get natural selection going. Um, So I called it a meme. So it doesn't exactly rhyme with gene, but it's sort sort of sort of short and and sounds vaguely similar. And how did you feel then when it got adapted for the, uh, for the internet age, which is almost its ultimate manifestation of what well, you're talking about? yes, I mean, if, if I'd known about computer viruses in 1976, I, w- I would have used that as an example. The internet um, is a first-class um, ecology for memes to spread, and, and uh, it's no wonder that the word meme has been taken up in the internet, because that's exactly what it is. When, you, when we say things are going viral, um that's the very phrase i used in the selfish gene so um yes it's a it it's not really a a change it's it's just a specific subset of the original idea of the meme
0: that of course is richard dawkins from several years ago now explaining the idea of memes and how it came about in his 1976 book I think it is interesting to even reflect on the fact that it's only been a few years that the idea of memes has become so pervasive that people know how to say the word meme, for example. It was only a few short years ago. You might remember a lot of people would say Mimi or something along those lines. But the idea that there is a discrete unit of culturally transmitted information that is copied from person to person in a way analogous, again, here is the analogy to nature and to analogous to the way that genes are copied from generation to generation, uh, is, I mean, it's, think about that, that that idea being at least culturally per- pervasive and understood has is only a few years old at this point, um, a handful of years. Um, again, interesting, considering that has become the dominant form of information transmission in this internet age, and one that has been vastly, vastly underappreciated in the mainstream until, I would say, probably the last selection circus is when the mainstream started catching on, that there is such a thing as memes, and that they are affecting political discourse, and and you will see a lot of the Kind of hand wringing about this. So well now people aren't concentrating on the deep policy platforms of these candidates. Now they're talk They're just passing these image macros around and calling Ted Cruz a Zodiac killer. Oh no, <laughs> okay boomer. But of course that is how it's going to be. Could uh, understood or misunderstood by the uh, the dinosaur media, but. In this idea of virality, we are again presented with another analogy that again goes back fundamentally to this idea of the body politic, and it is fundamentally playing on the idea that we have a body politic that from time to time is invaded by these ideas that then are spread around the body and proliferate and catch on and ultimately start to take over the body. And this in, to some extent is presented, it's meant generally in at least a neutral, if not an actually positive manner. That information went viral and now it's taken over and now everyone understands it. And this analogy has been around with us for a couple of decades at this point, and I think a lot of the early examples of virality and what it means to go viral did really pertain to the type of information that the corporate report deals with, truth information broadly defined. And I think early examples of that, one of the first viral videos on the internet um, was Loose Change. It was one of the first videos that really got spread around to millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people back when uh, videos on the internet, let alone feature length documentaries were almost unheard of, when it was still in its infancy Loose change was all over the internet, and it certainly wasn't because of some coordinated, concerted mainstream media push or anything of that sort or any intention whatsoever from mainstream land. It was all taking place online, and this was an early example of what it meant to go viral. Now, of course, in the modern context, generally speaking, viral information is going to be nonsense or childish or some silly joke, or something along those lines. Um, There are people who consciously try to make memes into something truth related and try to spread information that way and hats off to them for attempting to do that. I think it is important to spread this information in every way possible. And if that works, then great. And sometimes it does work. As I pointed out not too long ago on the propaganda watch, we did point out how Epstein didn't kill himself became a mainstream uh, idea because, largely because of the push from the meme of Epstein didn't kill himself being inserted everywhere online. There was a time a few weeks ago, I'm sure you might have encountered it, where you found that phrase being inserted everywhere online, and probably half the people who were pushing it didn't even understand what it meant, didn't even know who Epstein was, but it was just the funny thing to do, and so it went. Now, as I say, this has been presented to us almost as the thing that, well, isn't this what we're searching for? Isn't this what we should be aspiring to? We should be aspiring to go viral with this important information? Because look, I'm out here trying to get information that I think is important out to the masses. Wouldn't it be great if it goes viral? Well, actually I can speak to that with some degree of experience because I have gone viral on the internet at least once. I would say 9-11, a conspiracy theory, was my example of my information going viral. And I saw it and experienced it as it was happening. And it was certainly, amazing to watch happen in real time, that I posted this little five-minute video that I thought was going to be, at best, an inside joke for the 9-11 Truth community, that you'd have to know something about 9-11 Truth to even understand this. I mean, it it was the furthest thing from my mind that this would go on and be the work that defined, (laughs) defined me in the eyes of a lot of people. It's very strange that that happened, because it was essentially an inside joke that I thought, you know, maybe... 20, 30,000 people would get it, but within hours already tens of thousands of people had watched it. Then within a day, a hundred thousand people, and then within a few days it was several hundred thousand people. Before long it was a million. Now it has been seen millions and millions and millions and millions of times on my YouTube channel and other YouTube channels, on Facebook, on Twitter, everywhere else you can imagine it has ended up, and to this day... Uh, often when i go on a uh, on a radio show or a podcast for the first time the host will bring that up and often will play the audio of 911 conspiracy theory <laughs> to this day it continues to happen so uh, that was something that i saw as it was happening and Again, this seems to be exactly what it is that we're after. We want to go viral with the truth, don't we? We want it to catch on with a large number of people and to be seen millions upon millions of times. That's what this is about, spreading this information, isn't it? So this is a good thing. And the thought even occurred to me, it did cross my mind, as 9-11 and conspiracy theory was going viral... The thought did occur to me, well, you know, I, all I'm doing is essentially showing what a joke the official story of 9-11 is. And this is something that I could do for JFK and OKC and all sorts of things that I had already covered on the corporate report to that point. And I knew I could do a video like this once a week, every week for the next couple of months. And I could, I would become known as the the five minute conspiracy video guy. And I would have a much better chance of becoming a viral sort of channel if i did that i consciously decided not to do that at that time i thought no that would do a disservice to this type this to what this is uh it's a joke but it only works because i'm not doing the same joke every single week and it's uh, i want it to be that thing and so i have gone back to that well a few times but only sparingly and uh and and when it is appropriate to the context and the content that matters and that's precisely why (laughs) the corporate report is not viral (laughs) and has only been viral once and only ever will be because (laughs) i don't think that's what necessarily what i want but it's also not what i want because of the underlying message of that analogy that metaphor of virality for information to go viral implies that it is an invader to the body politic and it must be dealt with like any virus must be dealt with or else the host will die if the virus simply overrides the ho- over completely overwhelms the host the host will ultimately die which is why the virus must be fought against in order for the status quo to return the body has to go back to its normal healthy state it has to get rid of the virus so that is something that has been implanted in the very idea, the very metaphor of virality, that from the beginning has always always been there in the back of my mind. Well, I don't want to be a virus. I don't think that's the right way of thinking about this. So, well then, what is the right way of thinking about this? And it has finally dawned on me, after all these years of thinking about this in one form or another, it has finally dawned on me the right analogy. Because, Again, with a virus, you have an invader, a foreign thing that has invaded the body politic and is taking over, and yes, it is going everywhere and being felt by all the different parts of the body, but only in a negative sense. It is ultimately something that will kill that body if it is left unattended, so it must be fought against and must be removed and expunged. So for information to go viral is pretty much begging for an immune system response to come in and bodyguard against it to make sure that the body returns to health. Well, that's not what I want at all. And also this returns back to that problem with the the cutting off the head of the beast analogy, when it's a multi-headed hydra that's just going to regrow heads here and there whenever a head gets chopped off. That's not the way to really uh, combat against that. Well, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? What I am trying to accomplish is not to to kill some beast or to to destroy some system, not really. That's not ultimately what I want. What I want is the creation of a new system, a system that I that will be self-sustaining, that will be able to help all of us thrive. That is, I think, I I imagine that's the way everyone thinks of whatever it is that they're trying to do or should be rather than fighting against the enemy. No, I want to create this thing that will flower and develop into something that will help us all to thrive. So... Really, I think there is an analogy that we can draw from the realm of the pathologization of the body politic if we want to bring it back to that well-worn, well-trod cliche that we are living in this body politic. Well, no, it's not a virus that we want to create that will infect the system. That's the wrong way of thinking about it. No, what we want to do is create, create a new life. We don't want information to go viral We want it to go embryonic. We want to create an idea that will grow and be nurtured by this body politic as it exists until it is ready to head out into the world itself and become a completely new idea, a new system, a new thing that we can thrive under. Uh, to create, as I often say, rather than begging for scraps from the master's table, well, let's just create our own table and have our own party. And we don't have to worry about what the master's doing. And in this sense as well, rather than some virus that's going to go in and reprogram the body or something, no, 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 we're creating a new life. And we want that to thrive. Now, this is very metaphorical, I understand, and lacking in the meat and potatoes of specifics. But I think the meat and potatoes of specifics is inherent in everything that I do at The Corporate Report and have done for 12 years, 13 years now. So (laughs) I think you'll uh, forgive a little bit of philosophical uh, pondering in this particular episode. And this is essentially my point today. (laughs) All I wanted to point out was that the viral idea, the idea of virality as a metaphor of something that we should be striving towards in spreading this information is essentially the wrong metaphor and it leads us in the wrong direction because ultimately the response to the virus is going to be an immune response and it is going to kick that invader out of the body whereas what we want is we want to create ideas that will flower and develop into its own its own thing its own self-contained system and that is the embryo it is a new life We are implanting a new life in the body politic that will give rise to a new system. That is the way to think about this, because, again, if we follow the false templates of cutting off the head of the beast and all of this type of stuff, then we are going to be led down the wrong path, and we are going to be conquered because of it. We are forever going to be simply the extremities of the body politic that can be cut off if need be. If if we're infecting the body politic with our virus, if we're if we're the gangrene or whatever it is, we'll just cut off that part of the body and throw it in the garbage and never to be seen of again, and we will be dealt with in that way. Whereas that is, of course, not what we want. We are creating new life. So... In the end, today, I leave you with this. I don't want the Corbett Report to go viral. I want it to go embryonic. And that is a world of difference. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com.
1: The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's International Forecaster Editorial. Recommended reading and viewing discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support.